0: The Annex Wealth Management Show, the longest running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. Annex Wealth Management is a local fee-only fiduciary providing investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Know the difference. The Powell pause, earnings, and how about that jobs report?
1: This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're glad you're here. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk about the Annex Wealth Management Tax Smart Planning Strategy Review. Dave Spano, there's a figure in there that Eric Strom talks about, about just one case that stunned me about the potential tax savings for a potential client of Annex Wealth Management. That's on the way. Ask Annex is coming up. Toward the end of the show, do houses make terrible wealth transfer vehicles? Maybe, maybe not. It's an interesting case to talk about. We're going to talk about that. Also, before we get going too far, I just want to tell you the ink is barely dry on the Annex Wealth Management Year-End Tax Planning Guide. So it's a sign of the season, kind of like the Mariah Carey song on the radio nowadays, right? I'm Danny Clayton. Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, is in the studio. Welcome. It's great to be here. Dave Spano, our President and CEO. Welcome to you.
2: Yeah, thanks, pal. And uh, what a great setup. It's going to be a great show over the next hour. I hope you can join us. But you know what else was great, Brian? Was the week in the markets really a nice rally, kind of a relief rally. I felt that we were a bit oversold,
3: but we did have a really nice week this week. Yeah, on our investment committee, we were talking about this last week as far as how things were looking a little too glum. We were watching a lot of the uh, trading indicators that we like to watch as far as sentiment and the such and it all really took was a little good news out of the U.S. Treasury as far as their plans for debt issuance and then Chair Powell to actually sound a little bit more like a chicken instead of a hawk when it came to the monetary policy statement that came out on Wednesday to really set things on fire.
2: Yeah there was a lot of birds and I don't want to sound like a dodo bird but up six percent on the S&P really a nice week in fact even on Friday Close positive, and you know part of that. Let's go back to the, your chicken analogy. The Treasury yields came down significantly. Mm-hmm. In some cases, forty or fifty basis point in Treasury market. That is an enormous move.
3: It really is, especially when you consider those longer dated ones, uh, the thirty year Treasury. If you see a big move like that, I mean that is some great gains. Those are equity like gains that you see there. But that follows a few months worth of equity like losses. Uh, the bond market has been a real source of volatility, probably a real source of worry for a lot of investors. And I think a lot of it just has to deal with, back in August, the U.S. Treasury, they announced that they were going to be issuing a lot more debt. We know that there's problems as far as with deficit spending, the level of the debt, the interest rates that we're paying on it, and you have this vacuum of buyers. The Fed has been doing quantitative tightening, meaning they're not captive buyers of U.S. Treasuries. And so you have more supply, you have less demand. That's just a formula for those yields to go higher. But we got a bit of a reprieve of that. So maybe those fears were a bit overdone. On our investment committee, we actually thought that when bond yields started going up towards that 5% level, that could represent some decent long-term value for investors. And
2: I do want to talk about that. Maybe we'll do that in the next segment. But of course, Janet Yellen saying what she said about interest rates and and the issuance of debt just doesn't make sense to us. But let's focus in on a couple of things. And that is of course, the Fed had an announcement this week, and Chair, not Chair Yellen, who was the previous <laughs> chair, but uh, currently Chair Powell was a bit dovish or mm-hmm. chicken, as you as you like to say. And the fact of that, it looks like a dovish statement. And here is the key the interest rates that the Fed now has are above market rates, and that has always been an indicator.
3: Mm -hmm, It really is. The Federal Reserve now has their target rate at 525 to 5.5%. That's where it's been since July. So if this is indeed a pause, the Powell pause as we like to call it, we're about four months into it. When we look at history, go back to, say, 1995, the Fed was able to hold rates at that high level for about five months. Now, we're not saying that the Fed is going to start cutting, but we are in that pause period. At some point. At some point, they will. And the market is beginning to bet that it's going to be more of a mid-2024 story when they're going to start cutting rates. And that's the dot plots,
2: or the dart plots, as I like to say. (laughs) You know, when do they guess that it's going to happen? But, you know, we just set up for the best week of 2023, this past week, in, in equity returns. And, in fact, interest rates coming back down, people's portfolios will look better when they look at them this past week than they have before. The last piece I do want to get to real quickly is the Labor Department came out with their payroll report, and it was as expected. Wage growth was down, and it's something that we haven't seen in manufacturing, but of course, those numbers were down as well in participation. All of those shows that the Fed's goal of raising rates has worked.
1: That is a deep dive on the market. That is our Week in Review, available as a podcast and delivered Sundays in the Axiom newsletter. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, November 4th. We're going to
0: be right back on 620 WTMJ. Custom-tailored investment and retirement planning from a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. We're back. Quick reminder, this show is going to be available
1: as a podcast at the top of the hour. AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button if we can help. Depends on where you are on your journey, but we'll match up really well with either Annex Ignite, Annex Comprehensive Wealth, or Annex Private Client. In the studio, Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. Dave Spano, our President and CEO.
2: Yeah, thanks, Danny. And of course, Brian, you don't get all of these letters after your name, like PhD and JD and all of these things, unless you're well-read. Well, both of us read pretty often. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, things that we saw this week was the front page of Barron's, which is a great publication, yep. said, buy bonds. And, and we both had a conversation about
3: that. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of times people look at the newspapers and say, hey, if it's already on the front cover, that's like the peak. You want to, It's almost like a contrary. Indicator, But that's not entirely true. It's just we remember when they make the big, bold calls about, you know, the housing market's on fire or that, you know, bonds are the place to be. And if it doesn't play out, that's what we remember. But oftentimes, they actually do get it right. And I would tend to agree, especially if you read the details of the article, the argument for bonds. Now, the way that we are looking at bonds on our investment committee is that they can be a very powerful tool, especially if you can hold them in as individual bonds and so that's one of our capabilities the individual bonds where you can hold them and ride through some of the volatility that we have seen in the bond market over the last few months if you have the option to just hold on to them to maturity that's some pretty good coupon income that you can clip at these levels so
2: let's just make sure that our, that our listeners get that piece and we're certainly not you know poo-pooing a uh, bond funds no, or bonds exchange rate funds we're saying there's an alternative way and that is holding the individual bonds of themselves because then you know you're going to get par when they come to maturity. And so, uh, that is really a good point. But let's go back to the Treasury.
3: They have proven to be really bad traders, haven't they? (laughs) They really have. You would have hoped that during the zero interest rate policy of the Fed, that the Treasury would have started issuing longer dated bonds. But they didn't. So, instead of bottom ticking yields and basically locking in those low yields for a long period of time, they didn't do anything. They just kept issuing bonds as they typically did. And now they're beginning to issue those Longer dated bonds at these higher yields, and so it's almost like they're doing the exact opposite of what a good trader would. They failed to lock them in at a low yield, and now they're locking them in at the high yield, and it just really doesn't make a lot of sense. I understand that it's you know the bureaucracy, but still, you think that they could put on their trader hat a little bit occasionally.
2: And and think about that. You know, we just have uh, three or four PhDs running around, you being one of them (laughs) here at Annex Wealth Management, but over at the Fed, there's thousands yes. of them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the reason why I point that out is because Joe Schmo from Kokomo knew that he had a lock in his mortgage rate, yep. right, and not wait to get up to, to, get up to 8%. Well, that's, that's not what the Federal Reserve did.
3: That's right. Yeah. And, and, in fact, it's so interesting how the average mortgage rate right now is around 6%. But do you have to pay if you take out a new mortgage? It's closer to 8%. It's one of the reasons why we have some really interesting distortions in the housing market, People feel locked in to their homes that they're in because of the mortgage rate. You don't necessarily want to pay that off, pay off the par amount, and then have to get into something at eight percent. However, keep in mind in the United States, we oftentimes do have the ability to refinance. So even if you do take out that 30 year fixed or a seven year arm, there's the option that if rates do come down, that you can refinance and more and more people are getting comfortable with that idea.
2: Exactly. And so there's a lot that could happen in next year, and that could mean lowering of rates. And we'll have to see if that happens right in front, front of the election. And why would mm-hmm. that happen? Lots of reasons. One is that we saw the Atlanta Fed, which is generally pretty aggressive with their GDP estimates at 4.9% for Q3, but that comes all the way down to 1.2% for Q4. Now, you pointed out last week, part of that was inventory build that can get taken away though as well
3: it can yes the big part of the 4.9 percent was really from a swing in inventories so is it the case that businesses really built up some inventories in anticipation of the fourth quarter holiday sales things like that they do try to seasonally adjust for some of those things but if they misjudged consumer demand then you're going to see some fire sale prices on some of that inventory
2: yeah awesome you uh, can you stick around for the rest of the show because we have a great segment coming up at the
1: end of the show excellent dr brian jacobson chief economist dave spano our president and ceo at annex wealth management the annex wealth management tax smart planning strategy review is powerful very powerful we'll talk about it next and share a mind-blowing amount of taxes saved for a new client of annex this is money talk the annex wealth management
0: show on 620 wtmj one team one plan one fee annex wealth management works in your best interest can your advisors say that this is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management show on WTMJ. Know the difference with
1: Annex Wealth Management. Tax prep is what you do when it's time to pay the IRS. Tax planning is what you do year-round to reduce drag, discover opportunities, and create a smart and managed tax strategy. Where do you start, and what should you look for? Got two members of the financial planning team in here to discuss. Tom Burkholtz is a CFP financial planning specialist and an EA with the IRS. Welcome back, hey Danny. Eric Strom, financial. Planning Manager, CAP, also an EA with the IRS. Holy cow! We're, we're like it's raining EAs here. Welcome back. Thank you, Danny. We're here to talk about the Tax Smart Planning Strategy Overview from Annex Wealth Management. Now it's available to every Annex client, but it really would be particularly useful to clients brand new to Annex as part of their onboarding process. Everything is at annexwealth.com/taxsmart. We recommend you go to that website, Eric. At the top level, and this is a two-parter. What's the goal for new clients? with this and what's needed to do a tax smart review? Well, let me explain where this came
4: from. Our team uh, that Tom and I are a part of, we do the initial financial planning for every new client of Annex and every prospective client of Annex. And we've been doing this a while. As you're doing this and the years are going by, Time and time again, we're seeing a theme, Danny, and the theme that we're seeing is that we are finding investors not doing enough tax planning. And it kind of got to the point where, you know what, we throw up our hands and say, enough. We're going to start offering this tax smart strategy review for individuals and investors who are not yet clients of Annex so that we can help raise awareness of tax planning and point out those tax strategies that maybe people aren't utilizing. And what we need, the second part of your question, is really your most recent tax return, some other basic information, not too much, and we can help see what's available for you.
1: Tom you have probably seen enough tax returns to have a pretty good sense of what can be missed or overlooked during tax preparation what's usually at the
5: top Yeah. I mean, we review hundreds of returns every single year. Usually it's something related to deductions or credits. A lot of the time, taxpayers don't know that they're eligible for a specific deduction or credit. So that's something we can go line by line down your tax return and point out to you. Another thing that's actually maybe more common is people are actually phasing themselves out of credits or deductions. So people aren't always aware that there's a credit that they think they're getting, but because of their income, they're actually phasing a portion or completely.
4: And it's not even always just those little credits, but those are very important and can add up too. But it's also those broader strategies we see investors not utilizing sometimes, like Roth conversions, asset location, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a minute, and other big strategies, those can even save, we're talking big dollars, potentially over uh, decades of time. We've talked about tax drag on a portfolio. Can our tax smart planning strategy overview help? Yes, it can. Let me give you an example of that. We've all heard of asset allocation, right? Having a diversified portfolio. What's less commonly talked about is asset location. And asset location is all about, well, if you are going to have fixed income investments, it's much more tax efficient to have your fixed income investments in an IRA or some kind of pre-tax account. Similarly, when you talk about taxable brokerage accounts or Roth IRAs, those types of accounts have ideal investment types that should go there. So usually for financial planners, you oftentimes see not going to that level of detail, but asset location is one example of a very potential powerful tax strategy that we see time and time again, that people are not utilizing that enough.
1: When we talk about gaps in a plan, what does that mean?
5: Gaps in a tax plan to me actually mean two different things. So you started the show with really laying out, there's a difference between tax preparation and tax planning. So when I think about gaps, I'm thinking, okay, there might be gaps in your tax preparation. So whoever prepared your return, you might be missing something or you might be able to save some taxes here or there. What's actually more interesting to our team, I would argue, is the tax planning. How can we look over multiple years to save you taxes over your entire lifetime, not just in a single year? We're with Eric Strom and Tom Berkholdt's
1: Annex Wealth Management Planning Team, Tax Smart Planning Strategy Overview. It's designed to uncover relevant tax strategies that may have an impact. Any example of that? Just last week. So met with a prospective client, so not a client of Annex
4: yet we looked over their information. We actually found a number of little things that kind of led to some immediate savings, but also showed that this particular individual was a very good fit for a strategy called Roth conversions. And Roth conversions are where you intentionally pay the tax to shift money from your pre-tax bucket, where you've never paid taxes on those dollars, over to your Roth or tax-free bucket. And in this case, we were able to project that we saw substantial, actually hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax savings over the course of a retirement by intentionally filling up low tax brackets early in retirement, especially while we have lower tax rates that we currently have due to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. This person, they've never encountered these ideas before. And in their circumstance, it was just something that really resonated with them. And it was a huge amount of tax savings over a long period of time. You combine that with those immediate tax savings, this person was actually self Preparing their taxes, and they were kind of missing a couple of things. But at the end of the day, we delivered a ton of value, and that's the kind of thing we're offering now for listeners who might be interested in getting their own
1: Tax Smart strategy review. You said hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, folks, your mileage might vary, but it is the Tax Smart Planning Strategy Review from Annex Wealth Management. Get things going at AnnexWealth.com slash TaxSmart. Tom Burkholtz, Financial Planning Specialist and a CFP. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Eric Strom, Financial Planning Manager and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for coming in. Thanks, Danny. Saturday, November 4th, let's get caught up. And for that, let's go
0: to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Planning and investing insight from a fee-only fiduciary. And we put that in writing. You're listening to Money Talk. The Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. Time for Ask Annex. Got a question? You head to our website,
1: AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. If we can help, and I know we can, just click that Get Started button in the studio. Matt Moore is the investment team manager. Welcome. Hey, Danny. And we got Fred Coleman, a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Thanks, Danny. Question number one. What is the latest on the 60-40 portfolio? If my time horizon is
6: 15 years, should I care? For fifteen years out, no, I don't really think you should. That's quite a long time, you know, when you're thinking about from an investment point of view. At this point, what I think you should be more concerned about is how much are you saving and what's the placement of those savings? Is it a traditional IRA, Roth IRA, taxable account? Those are the things that I would care about more is getting money into the market. Frankly, you know, with fifteen years out, you're probably rooting for a flat market for a little while so you could get as much money invested as possible at current prices or maybe even a, a large pullback in the market so that you could dollar cost average into lower prices for a then to boost your overall return over those course of the 15 years. Thinking specifically about the 60-40 portfolio, that 40% of it, that bond part of it has really been beating up over the last couple of years. Frankly, that bond bear market that we're in, you know, is longer than some of the big stock market pullbacks that we've seen as well lately too. So it's really uncomfortable for people. In fact, we were just talking to clients recently about this, just about how that feels different from a bond pullback than it does a stock market pullback. But one thing to see from a fixed income standpoint is that now that yields are going, up. That's going to increase your overall rate of return going forward for fixed income. When you think of 10 years and out, that starting yield that you're getting on is going to be the best indicator of what you're going to get going forward on that. So for 15 years out, I think you're in a pretty good spot. Yeah,
7: and you may be reacting to last year because that was one of the worst years since 2008. But this really is also a matter of what your risk tolerance is. At Annex, we take each of our clients through a personalized risk assessment. The risk assessment tells you the investment return for our portfolios and what you can expect for the next six months. So we'll give you a high point, a low point. Usually, everybody's okay with that high point, but If that low point
1: is uncomfortable for you, then maybe the portfolio is too aggressive. Question two on Ask Annex. Do I really need to understand a company's core business if the fundamentals look solid?
6: Yeah, it's a good question. Fred, why don't you start us off on this one? Sure.
7: Yeah, fundamentals are very important, especially when it comes to determining the value of a stock price. And understanding a core business is a part of that process. Each security that you own should play a specific role in your portfolio and complement the other positions that you own. But not only should you look at the numbers, you should also look at the subjective side of the business. How does the company make money? What are their competitive advantages? How good is the management team? And what are risks to the business? But these are all things. that the balance sheet doesn't necessarily tell you but are very important to understand.
6: Yeah, knowing that core part of that business is going to let you know how repeatable those fundamentals are. If it's something that's sustainable over long time periods, that they have a wide moat around what their core business is, that they do what they do better than other companies, and that they're in a business cycle that's going to be repeatable for them is going to tell you a lot. Fundamentals tell you something that's a flash in time right now, or maybe over the last 12 months, or maybe you could pull that out a little bit further and look at some time series on that, but understanding what they do each and every single day, and is that repeatable for that company going forward? And then again, what threats are they going to see in terms of other companies trying to do that as well. But you really want to understand what that company does.
1: This is Ask Annex. Got a question for us. You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. Don't have to be a client. We want to hear everybody's question. Next one. Should I count my employer's contribution to my retirement plan as part of a 15% retirement savings goal?
7: Yeah. One thing to keep in mind, anytime we throw out those numbers, that 15%, that's a broad recommendation. For a lot of people, 15% will be more than enough, even if you do include your employer match, but there are a lot of other factors to consider. What age do you want to retire? How much do you plan on spending? What will your tax rate be? When will you take Social Security? when we run financial plans, we take all those things into consideration. And you'd be surprised how much you'd earn extra at the end, just by saving a couple extra percent out of your check, it can make a significant difference in your nest egg. So if you can't do 15 on your own, then anything the employer contributes on top of that is just a bonus. You know, I've never heard of someone saying they had too much in retirement.
6: (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. You know, I think that's what's really powerful about how we work with clients and the software that we use as well, too, because you can, have an idea of where you're going to be at different points of time and you can play with those numbers to achieve what goals you have specifically. You know, I just think from a general standpoint as I wouldn't count it just if I'm just going to try to look at just broad numbers, because like you said, no one complains about having too much later on, but it's also a battle of, okay, what do I have today? Do, what do I want to defer to the future? I would use that as the cherry on top of that ice cream sundae in terms of your savings goals long-term, but ultimately, you know, it's going to be very specific to you. And I think that's so powerful what we do with clients in that way.
1: Run the score up a little bit, right? Oh, for sure. Here you go. Matt Moore is the investment team manager. Thanks. Thank you. Fred Coleman, CFP wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Is passing your family home to the next generation a good idea when legacy planning? Maybe. Maybe not. We'll talk with one of our wealth strategists about that next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on
0: 620 WTMJ. One team, one plan, one fee. Money Talk is straight talk from a local fee-only fiduciary. It's time to know the difference. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ.
1: Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Well, this might be the shortest segment ever done on this show. I'm going to ask Amy Kiskala, an estate planning attorney and a wealth strategist at Annex Wealth Management, the following question. Do houses make for terrible wealth transfer vehicles? Yes. There you go segment's over thank you
8: no problem Danny.
1: we're not going to stop there we're going to dig in a little deeper home may be where the heart is but after it's inherited it's where heirs must manage upkeep and deal with family conflicts related to what to do with it what's a better way and that's what we're going to explore used to be the american dream included not only buying a house but passing that same house on to children but what's the unspoken truth amy
8: It is a bit of an over-exaggeration to say that it's a terrible wealth transfer vehicle. But transferring your home to your children does come with some challenges. You can be passing along financial burdens, red tape, home maintenance responsibilities, potential family conflict, and housing market volatility.
1: All of the above, right. A study from Money & Family found 68% of homeowners plan to leave a home or property to heirs, yet 56% haven't told them about their plans. That could be a problem.
8: It could be a problem on a number of fronts. So if the state plan in, doesn't specify who inherits the house, then the children might have to decide if they're going to own it together, which can create some conflicts, or if one of the children is going to take it over. Whoever takes over the home will need a plan to pay those ongoing expenses. And these can be hard decisions to make after mom or dad is gone. So having that conversation while mom and dad are alive can be beneficial in determining whether any of the children would want the house and what the plan is to pay those homeowner expenses.
1: Right, because if your kids are spread out over the country who you know who's going to wind up with it
8: yeah oftentimes parents assume that the kids want the house when the reality is is they may be living all over the country right
1: the question is do houses make for terrible wealth transfer vehicles amy kiskala is an estate planning attorney and wealth strategist she said yes kind (laughs) of let's talk about the financial burden
8: as many of us are aware, there's a lot of expenses that go with owning a home. You've got home maintenance and improvements, utilities, property taxes, emergency repairs, insurance. Good idea for all the parties to know what those costs are. There can also be additional complications if there's a mortgage on the house. So let's say mom took out a mortgage at 3%. After mom dies, if you're inheriting the house, you're going to have to refinance that mortgage in your own name. And if you're doing that under today's rates, closer to 8%, those mortgage payments can be higher than you anticipated.
1: And what if the heirs want to sell the home? There's a lot involved with that. And let's say there's a couple of kids and they've got this hot potato now of a house. What I would hate, I guess I'm thinking of my situation, I'd hate for the my boys to just unload the thing because they wanted to unload it.
8: Right. You want to be really thoughtful about that. And there can be a lot of steps to selling a house. So one of the first things you have to determine is, well, how is the house title? And does somebody even have authority to sell the house? So if there's a probate involved, that might mean the executor or could be the successor trustee if your house is owned by a trust. Often a good idea to use a realtor and an estate planning attorney to help guide the family through that process.
1: So we do this because owners often have a deep emotional attachment to their homes. So when people gift their homes to children and heirs, they're not just given an asset, they're endowing them with all. good memories that were made on the property but it can open up a can of worms there are better ways to plan through what to do with a family home what have you seen work
8: I've seen this transition work well when parents do have those conversations and really go through that thought process ahead of time during their lifetimes and have a plan in place. So oftentimes it might make sense. You know, The kids may be spread across the country, but there may be one that's living locally that it does make sense for that child to take over the house. Then you want to make sure your estate plan is written to take that into account. So let's take an example. All right, so you've got two children. Mom and dad have a house worth 500000 and other assets worth $3.5 million. So if there is one kid that wants the house, then the estate plan could say that maybe that child gets the $500,000 house and $1.5 million of other assets, while the other child is going to get $2 million of other assets.
1: I guess it would be a conversation because first you need to talk to the kids, right, and see what they might be interested in. But do you need to negotiate with your kids? That, that's that's a different question. So it's important to set that up before you talk to the estate planning attorney, but then to put the plan in place and say, okay, guys, here's how it's going to go.
8: Yeah, the estate planning attorney sure, can walk you through what that process looks like. Sometimes you can set it up ahead of time. Sometimes you may not know. And so maybe your estate plan gives the children the option. Like You may not negotiate with your kids, but maybe they negotiate with each other after you're done to decide if one of them maybe wants to take over or buy the house from the other.
1: There's a reason, Amy, that you're on the team. Amy Kiskala, for stuff like this, she's an estate planning attorney, a wealth strategist at Annex Wealth Management. She and the rest of the bunch can help you. Amy, thanks for the time. Thank you, Danny. Saturday, November 4th. Wow, November already. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. The
0: longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. This is Money Talk. The Annex Wealth Management Show on WTMJ. We're back in Money Talk, The Annex
1: Wealth Management Show. Reminder, this show is going to be available as a podcast at the top of the hour. And I kind of forgot earlier... If you're looking for some great content produced by Annex Wealth Management, the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, very good with over 1,500 videos that we have produced. Also, our SWAT podcast Monday mornings from the Annex Wealth Management investment team. Dave, you were talking earlier about all of the letters behind uh, Brian's name, but we got a lot of letters behind. And I was thinking about the cost of the education for the people that (laughs) that kind of work on behalf of our clients. So what a value that is. The Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast, about 20 minutes. Releases early on Monday morning and definitely worth a listen if you want to get dug in deep on the markets and the way we're looking at things. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, Annex Wealth Management. I often pester you with questions. So a week or so ago, I saw Jamie Dimon, who is the CEO of J.P. Morgan, mm-hmm. yep. right? high-profile guy.
3: Incredibly wealthy. Yeah. Has done very well. Mm-hmm. His personal wealth is what? Uh, last I checked, $1.7 billion, according to Bloomberg. So, and he was going to
1: carve some of his investment in JP Morgan off. And I yeah. wondered why that was. And I didn't know if it was the same case. Sometimes you'll see, like Stevie Nicks, who sold sure. her entire catalog, Peter Gabriel has done that. Springsteen, Springsteen sold yeah. everything. Yeah. And yeah. I remember asking some of our estate people about that. And they said, you know, sometimes it's a tax issue. Mm-hmm. Is that the same case
3: here? You know, it could be. Uh, so, just for some perspective, he has approximately one point two billion dollars worth of his net worth in that one stock, right? So that's in, about, JP, Morgan in, stock. in JP Morgan stock. So that's seventy so two out of one point seven. One point two out of one wow. point seven. So I'm not going to cry for him, right? I mean, he's still got five hundred million that he could kind of play with, even if JP Morgan, uh, if the stock doesn't perform well. But that is a massive what we would call concentration risk. Now, some of this could be tax related. As far as, hey, if he divests himself of it now, he's probably got a pretty decent capital gain on there. And we know that a lot of the tax provisions that were implemented under President Trump are set to expire in 2026. Mm -hmm. And so now is almost kind of like the red zone. It's almost like crunch time for a lot of individuals to kind of think about, do I want to realize gains now? Do I want to realize income now at the rates that I know – or run the risk of having higher rates come 2026 and beyond,
2: and that certainly could happen. We all know about the 33.5 trillion dollars in debt, and certainly they're spending more than they're bringing in. So there is just going to be an argument for revenue. Where is the revenue coming from? Generally, is from taxation, and so mm-hmm. that is going to happen. And as that begins to expire over the next two years, we're probably going to see a lot of this, Danny.
1: Brian used the term concentration risk. Is that something that? Annex private client, clients find themselves facing as well.
2: They do. So think about it. if you own a tool and die company, or you worked at a company that had publicly traded stock, and it started to become an overwhelming part of your net worth, or you're just a small business owner, whatever, you own the restaurant down the street, most of your net worth is tied
3: up in that business. How do you begin to divest? That's what private client does. Yeah, and we have a great team where they specialize in dealing with these complex situations. I mean, that's really what private clients client is all about, is trying to come up with solutions to complex problems for these individuals. And when you kind of think about, let's say that you own a business, a tool-and-die business, and it might not have publicly traded stock. That's one type of problem. Another type is if you're an executive at a company where there is publicly traded stock. Is it in your 401k? Is it uh, incentive stock options that you have? All of these have different tax implications and different strategies, different solutions that you can use to. Deal with those problems. Uh, You know, one of the things that we encounter a lot of times is people, uh, company match for a 401k, it might be in the form of company stock. Well, if you have held that for a long time and it becomes a big part of your portfolio, there's something called net unrealized appreciation. It's a strategy that can sometimes be used to really help manage and minimize the tax implications of when you need to start taking distributions from that 401k. And another situation that we encounter oftentimes is somebody who has worked for a business maybe they have a lot of stock and it's just too much a ab- huge part of their portfolio. How do you manage that risk? So there are different options strategies that can be used. There are also different vehicles, different kind of things that we would say in the alternative space that could be used to help manage some of those risks. So they are complex problems, and it just requires a different toolbox than what you can maybe get off the shelf from other advisors or other brokers.
2: And one of the things I'd like to point out, you know, why would someone do that? For example, we talk about PE ratios, right? Multiple of earnings, right? So if you are a small business and a private equity company comes in and says, "I'm going to give you ten times your earnings, ten times EBITDA," you get ten years worth of income out of that, and that's the reason why people are looking at, it. "I'll take the ten years worth of profitability right now." Mm-hmm. And then, lastly, of course, we have a number of private client meetings this past week. Uh, many of them significant, and we bring the whole team to the table. I want you to quickly explain what that looks like.
3: Yeah. So oftentimes, what will happen in those situations is we bring in an estate planning expert a tax planning expert a retirement planning expert and then me an economist right uh, so but, but know, all of these so with all the of these are on, but, but
2: Brian all of these people are on our team today it's not like we're going out and having someone from the outside come in correct and so yep. it is it's not a cost to our client to do that this is something that is on our payroll already
3: yeah, That's right and we're all here we meet on a regular basis basis to brainstorm ideas sit down with the client we what we really try to do define what is the problem let's design a solution and then most importantly let's deliver on the outcome
1: Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Dave Spano, our President and CEO, thanks for hanging out. The concentration risk, I've heard that often, but that's something we help with clients all the time, and we're ready.
2: We are ready, and of course, if this uh, applies to you, uh, go ahead and reach out to us, and I think you'll be impressed by the talent that we can bring to the
1: table. Ladies and gentlemen, what you do now affects next year and the year after. And the span of your entire retirement. This is the time. AnnexWealth.com is the place. We're ready as a fee only fiduciary partner. Let's start the conversation. Click that Get Started button at AnnexWealth.com. We'll be back here next Saturday at 10 o'clock. This is Money Talk, the
0: Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.